Here we go. We're in James. And uh, we're going to be concluding chapter 4 this morning. And uh, so the title this morning, you might not get it. It's called Out Kicking Your Coverage. And uh, it, so when a football team fails to score first down, often uh, what they usually do is punt the ball. And on occasion, the, the punter will really kick the ball well. Matter of fact, too well. He'll kick it too far. And uh, it will travel farther than normal, which you would think is good, but it's normally not. Because what happens is it extends the coverage too far, thins it out, the players get out of their lanes, and often the return team makes a large return or even scores a touchdown. And so the term for this is uh, outkicking your coverage. And we're going to return to the topic of the tongue this morning and talk about two areas where we outkick our coverage, all right? where we go past, where we're supposed, we go beyond how the Lord intended us to use our tongues and the seriousness of it. So I want you to know I've gotten pegged twice already on this message. So I hope you do this morning as well. Before I even got here, let's pray. All right. Father, as we come into this morning, what a great week it was. Thank you so much. Man, there was so much life bursting in the building and it was just a joy and absolute thrill. And watch the kids this morning. Uh, it just creates great life. We thank you for that. We bless you. Children are your treasure. And we uh, glad that you've trusted us with that. And so as we think this morning, Lord, we're going to talk about two areas, one slander and then boasting and bragging. And those are all things that we know we're prone to. We know we've sinned many times before you in this. We know we're guilty. And uh, as we walk through it this morning, bring your conviction that is full of hope, but also um, conviction and uh, your loving rebuke that we should not operate in that way. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So let's do a little review, all right? Because it's been three weeks. We had uh, James and Sarah were here. And then we had um, Menge speaking. And so it's been a couple of weeks. So I want to just um, walk through a little bit with us. If you look at James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. We have called this the universal principle. Right? God is opposed to the proud person, but gives grace to the humble. The center portion of this passage is really direct and intense. Uh, it talks about sinners cleansing their hands and double-minded people cleansing their hearts. It calls for us to be wretched, mourn, weep. Uh, to basically would be to enter into a season of repentance and mourning over our sin. And we don't respond really well to that because we're Americans and we've got it all together and we don't sin. So the question would be, well, what sin? What, what sin is he speaking? Why should I be broken over sin? What sin is so bad in the eyes of God that it would cause and require this kind of action and response? And it's not what you think. James identifies two areas that, where we tend to uh, outkick our coverage. One is our verbal airing of our opinions of others. Okay? Uh, in America, we call this uh, armchair quarterbacking. Right? Uh, but most of the time it is critiquing and not in a good way. The second issue is that of presumptuousness. 
They are, if you think about it, the sins of the tongue. What? You might be thinking, now I know it isn't great, but it can't be that big of a deal. After all, it's only words. Let's do a quick reminder of Jane's coverage on the tongues. You remember chapter 4, verse 1, and he asked this question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do you remember James pointing out that it was our, our passions, our lusts that were at war in us? This is the I want part of us that quickly morphs into, I will do whatever it takes to get what I want, even if it means plowing over you to get it. Right? I want it. Don't you try to stop me. And this is in marriage. This is in parents and family. I want my way. I want my will. I will jack it up to whatever level I need to so that you stop and you concede because you don't want to go that far. This wanting this stuff, another word for it is covetousness, right? It's wanting what others have. You ever watch two kids playing with toys? There's a whole room of toys, but they're fighting over the one they both want. Covetousness doesn't go away when you become an adult. And if I can't get it, then I'm going to whine and complain about what I don't have or I'm not able to get. And my life becomes defined by what I don't have rather than what I do have. A friend uh, wrote me this week and had a really insightful take on this whole topic. Uh, In order to deal with this in my own life, they write, I have learned to say, God... This is what I think I want. But if it's not your best for me, then please don't give it to me. This, they write, enables me to remain content while not acting complacently. I live with far less disappointment over what God does not choose to give me personally. And I'm freed from relating to others what isn't being done for me and thoroughly enjoy relating what God is doing in me. Isn't that a unique pivot point there? Let me read that again. This enables me to be content while not actually not acting complacently. I live with far less disappointment over what God does not choose to give me personally. I'm freed from relating to others what isn't being done for me and thoroughly enjoy relating what God is doing in me. I'm better able to hear him when I move in a direction and when I choose to seek him, not as gifts. Those are words of wisdom right there. Let's keep moving on with the the problem of the tongue. James goes on in chapter 3, the whole chapter, there we go, is on the tongue. It says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James describes the tongue like it's a snake or a serpent, a wasp or a hornet or a fire ant. Just think of things that are full of deadly poison, and he puts the tongue in that category. He says it's full of that kind of venom. We'll come back to that in just a second. But for observation's sake, note that James, that for James, this whole issue uh, it has to do with truly being Christian and under the lordship of Christ. And one of the things he's saying that we have to bring under the lordship of Christ is our tongue. In James 1.26, he says this, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James points out that if we do not let the Holy Spirit, who is, by the way, 
the only person who can rein our tongues in, and we, and we bring them under control, have, if we have control of tongues, if we just let them flap with whatever passions or lust are provoking it at the minute, our religion, our faith in Christ is worthless. Because people realize it's just talk. Again, we're dealing with the issue of control. Who is in charge of me? My flesh or the Holy Spirit? Well, did Isaiah pinpoint the problem? He said, Woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a nation of unclean lips. That could as easily describe America as it does Israel. James doesn't leave us hanging. He gives us a course of action, a plan to honor God with our lips. In 119, again, this is all review. Remember, 119 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What are we usually? The exact opposite of that, right? We're quick to speak and quick to anger, uh, and uh, we just get it all messed up. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We think in our anger we will accomplish what God's trying to do, and we end up with the exact opposite. In 3.2, James says, For oops, there we go. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. And so James is pointing out a discipline here. If we can cooperate with God, listen to the Holy Spirit, and listen about how we talk, That includes tone. That includes all the different aspects of that. But if we let the Lord get a handle on that, it will help get a handle on the inside as well. And so he's saying this is a really helpful way um, to operate. Reign in your tongue and you can reign in your heart. Uh, The the friend that I mentioned earlier who uh, also had this insight says, it has often been noted that I tend to get caught up in resisting my problems, not the devil. Resisting the devil does not mean I get rid of every problem that I've got. It means rather that I resist acting like the devil while I've got the problem. That's insightful, right? You ever say the problem made you do it? Right? I think we fall back on that a lot. And nowhere is this more true in my speech, with my tongue, my words. I either sound like the devil with them or I sound like the Holy Spirit. And have you noticed there's very little in between? At least in my world there isn't, right? I tend to kick in very quickly one way or the other. Okay, so uh, all of this has been merely for review, right? To get where we're going this morning to catch up. So now that we're fresh back on this and we're um, ready to move on, this, this leads us to the verses for today and the two sets of verses we have both have to do with the tongue. Again, remember, we started with introducing the idea of outkicking our coverage in, in, in regards to the tongue. And there were two areas to bring into the light. First was the verbal airing of our opinion of others. And the second was the issue of presumptuousness. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But let's start with the verbal airing of our opinions. This brings us to our verses today. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We could stop right there. How many of us have sinned in that area right there? Many times over. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? So what are we talking about here? Well, it's the age-old issue of slander. Right? Wrecking somebody else's reputation at my expense. Slander means an action or crime of making a false spoken statement that is damaging to a person's reputation. In our culture, we call it news. It's called throwing shade at someone. Right? You see that? Someone threw shade kind of deal. Other terms are chopping them down to size, uh, leveling the playing field, putting them in their place, stopping their momentum, turning the tables. It has to do with the sense of somebody else is getting ahead of me and I don't like it and I think they're too big for their britches and I think that they're getting too much praise and I ought to level the field out because that's not right. And it's my job to level the field. Usually, this kind of slander is behind the scenes and under the cover of darkness kind of stuff. We do not say this stuff to the actual person's face. No, no, that would be, it could be countered then, right? We come over here, talk to a group of people. Yeah, whatever, they think they're such hot stuff. But let me tell you the real skinny on it. Right? And so we spread. We spread our opinion. And as I've said before, give away a piece of our mind we can ill afford to lose. As James saying, we are way out kicking our coverage when we operate with our tongues like this. Here's the problem. We don't see it as evil. We don't even really see it as an issue of or a reason to repent. We don't really think it's that much of a problem. We kind of see it, as I mentioned before, as armchair quarterbacking or giving the real take that everyone should know. But we forget to understand what we're really saying is, God, I think you're doing a lousy job. And actually, I don't think you're doing any job at all, so I'll do your job for you. And we step in and take over for God. But call it what we will, it's a hatchet job on another person and on their reputation. And James calls it evil. He doesn't call it nice or just a mistake. or He calls it actually evil. And notice that the other person, as I mentioned, is not often around to defend themselves from the accusation. So it's a coward's way of confrontation. Okay? Most of the time, if we have something like this, we know we should go talk to the person, but most of us don't like confrontation. And so we avoid that and air it over here because it feels safer, but actually we end up creating more sin than if we'd have just gone and talked to the actual person. What I say away from them, I would never say in front of them. And so how we outkick our coverage is by acting like we're God and assuming we're experts and that we are in charge of the law and we can accurately discern what really should be the take and what should be said. And then we speak like experts too. James is basically saying, who in the world do you think you are? 
There's only one who saves or destroys. And knock, knock, it's not us. You've heard me say many times, you make a wonderful you, you make a lousy Jesus. This is where that fits. Because this is where we fall short. Who in the world do you think you are? James is saying, hey, you've way outkicked your coverage. You had better humble yourself and get back under authority quick. If you're not careful, you might find yourself guilty of speaking evil against God and his law. James says, do you realize where we put ourselves when we do this? We are actually calling God in contempt and saying he really isn't a God of justice and he really doesn't know what's right and he really doesn't know how to fix things, so we'll fix it for him. I don't know about you, okay? Uh, I'll share my testimony at uh, Park, uh, kind of what happened before I knew Jesus and how I got there, but uh, it has usually not gone very well for me when I've taken that position. Anybody else in that boat with me? All right. What James is trying to alert us to is we're way out of line. He's saying you better recognize it. This is not okay. This is not Christian. Measure it any way you want. It does not line up with the Holy Spirit. You will not have resonance in your heart if you're operating like this or if we're talking like this. James, what he's trying to point out is that slander is a deadly Deadly sin. Remember what did he say? It's full of poison. You ever been poisoned by somebody else's attitude or take on you? And you found out about it through the grapevine? Right? You ever poisoned the grapevine with your attitude towards somebody else? Okay. So you may be thinking to yourself this morning, but Pastor Steve, aren't you kind of being a bit dramatic and kind of over-amping on two verses? Right? You just had to fill time and slots, so you're ratcheting this up so that you can catch our attention. Well, let's just see if it's two verses. If you go to Ephesians 9, it says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Boom, dead before we even get out of the first sentence. But only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that you may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to note here that in the context of this passage, it's talking about the things we do that grieve the Spirit of God. That cause the Holy Spirit to weep. Think of that. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all, and then it lists some specific things. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and... What's the next word? Slander. See, it's a, it's a host of words. It's a, they're all kissing cousins, right? They all kind of... It, it's amazing if you're bitter, you tend to slander. And it's amazing if you slander, you tend to be bitter. It's amazing how anger can grab our hearts. Clamor is the lap, 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 right? right? Just creating dissonance and just keep the lips flapping and create as much smoke screen as you can create. Put them all away along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Notice that one of the specifics or definitions of corrupting talk is the issue of slander, trying to deliberately ruin or wreck another person's reputation. And notice also that it's directly tied to the grieving of the Holy Spirit. 
When we slander, we grieve the Holy Spirit. I got clobbered on that point. I'm just hoping you are as well. So we can do this together. Slander is what I do behind your back. Malice is what I do to your face. Right? Malice is, I'm going to let it rip. I am going to let you know exactly what I think of you and I really don't care where it goes and I really don't care what happens to the relationship and I really don't care about the fallout. I am just going to smoke you. Right? Malice, speaking with venom. Notice the rule of grace. Our speech is to be a conduit of grace, not a knife to stab. Go to Colossians. It says, In these you two once walked, former things, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. So these are things that we are to die to. Anger, wrath, malice, and what's the word there again? Slander. Notice the same list of words, right? Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And here's what I'm trying to suggest this morning. You know, we can't fix a lot of stuff in our culture. We can't fix a lot of stuff that's going on in the world. you ever feel overwhelmed by all that? But here's one thing we can fix. We can fix how we talk by submitting it to the Holy Spirit and bringing it under His authority and control. And for me, this gives us great hope. I can actually cooperate with God on a daily basis if I cooperate on the issue of my tongue. Okay? Again, notice that the specifics or definition of the corrupting talk is the issue of slander, trying to deliberately ruin or wreck another person's reputation. And notice also it's directly tied to grieving the Holy Spirit. In this picture, though, Paul used the we are to put off our old self, the sin nature, and we're to put on the new self. So he uses a different analogy here, is the idea of these are the old things, the part of the old flesh, the old nature that need to go bye-bye, And these are the things that you need to put on. It's like throwing away a bunch of old clothes that are 25 years out of date. I don't know anybody who'd have those, but rumor has it some people do. And then you go and put on new clothes. And once again, one of the specific character flaws has to do with slander. We can't become like God if we continue to slander other people behind the scenes. What do you think the impact of that has been on, on the church over the centuries? How much damage do you think slander within the church has caused for the cause of the gospel throughout the last 2,000 years? It's not a little sin. James would say, if you slander other people behind the scenes, you deceive yourselves if you think you're becoming like God. So it's not two verses, but three major passages that say, in essence, the exactly same thing. We must, we have to stop slandering others, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And these are not all the passages on slander or judging each other or motives. I didn't even bring up the judging part. Right? Uh, actually, most of the Bible talks or illustrates this idea. That's why it's hard to get away from it. All right. That's on slander. The second way that we outkick our coverage is in the area of presumptuousness. That might be a word that you're going, what? What's presumptuousness? Well, it's better known by its symptoms. Presumptuousness has two symptoms that we're very familiar with. The two symptoms that show up from being presumptuous are bragging and boasting. I'm hot stuff. And you ought to recognize that. Again, 
Presumptuousness is getting out from under God's umbrella protection and boasting that we've accomplished mighty feats by our own strength. Look at me, I'm awesome. Look at what I've done. Woohoo! Right? And you see it in all kinds of variations, strains of form. The particular example that James uses, the common one, that's of doing business. Right? Look at uh, the passage in James here. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And James says, Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. How can you talk that confidently? What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, this passage is not talking about one shouldn't plan for the future. That is not what this passage is saying. This passage is, nor is it talking about business as being inherently bad or wrong. It is not talking about that. It's also not saying it's wrong to make a profit. That's not the point of the passage. If you pull those, try to pull that out of it, you're missing the point. James is using a business analogy because it was a common example of the day in that many Jewish Christians were in business and traveled regularly. And he was talking about the fact that as they travel, they should be under the authority of Christ, but instead they've popped out and they are using this as their platform to brag or boast. I've made some bucks. Now, we would never do that in our culture, right? Anybody brag in our culture about I've made some bucks? The point he's making is calling out the sin of presumption. It's assuming that God will and has to bless me even if I'm not under his authority. I can make all the plans I want and God's obligated to bless them. I don't have to seek him out. I don't have to pray about it. I can just launch and do this because I know I can pull it off. The flip side of this is that when I do succeed, right, and sometimes it's pretty crazy, Actually, we're successful wildly beyond our dreams. When I actually do succeed, um, I don't give God credit for what I have or what I've accomplished. I take credit for it. There's an old story of a pastor went out and saw a farm and the farm was gorgeous and landscaped and obviously the farmer had put tremendous effort into keeping his fields and stuff. And, and the pastor said, wow, look at what God gave you. And the farmer said, yeah, you should have saw it before God got, I got a hold of it. Right? What, what's going on there? Yeah, God really didn't do it. I did it. Okay? I made those fields look good. I made this farm. When we forget that everything we are and everything we've got comes from God. It was in the songs this morning. Do you, did you recognize that? John did a great job on those songs. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Look at what I've done. James is in essence saying again, who do you think you are? Scripture always points to the brevity of life. Uh, you can't read Scripture very long without realizing how quickly it kicks into that. It uses phrases, uh, James does here, of a mist. We're familiar with fog in the Northwest. We know what it looks like and we know how quickly it can disappear, right? Of course, in the Northwest, we're also aware how, quick, how long it can last. There's the opposite one there. Okay? 
But the other analogies that are, are that used in Scripture are that of a fading flower, right? uh, grass that is quickly consumed or burnt up. What's the problem here? What's James trying to identify in this passage? It's acting as if I'm sovereign instead of submitting to the one who is sovereign. Right? If you read this, what's going on here, it's not the problem of having a business, it's not the problem of having plans, it's not the problem of having money. Those are all natural human things that we should all be doing. But it's the issue of acting like I'm sovereign in all that instead of being under the one who truly is sovereign. I don't acknowledge God in my operating. And James is saying this is incredibly evil. What's the catalyst for this? Well, the catalyst for this is wealth. Right? We tend to get cocky when we make some money. When I have money, when I have discretionary money, actual money that's not going to anything and I can spend the way I want, I can be fooled into thinking that I can do whatever I want. Because I have the option, I have the ability. Rather than saying, God, I have some discretionary money, is it all right if we use it this way? How would you like to use the money? It's where our selfishness kicks in. It's where our egos kick in. It's where we jump from out under the umbrella. I'll take it from here, God. Thanks for providing. Now I run it. And here's James' point. Stay humble and stay under. He says, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that, is another way of saying, always remember that everything you have and everything you've been able to achieve comes from the Lord. Give him credit and give him honor. What's the human tendency? The human tendency is to boast. The boastful pride of life, as the Apostle John would call it, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I can put better deals together than you. I can get farther than you. I've accomplished more than you. And I'm a way better human than you. It it functions on all levels. And, And James is saying the cure for that? Stop for a second. Do you have anything given that wasn't given to you by God? When you really stop and think about it, the answer is no. Everything I've got comes from him. And so James is saying, all right, if you've got more, then that requires greater responsibility. Not more boasting. How do you handle that in a responsible way? And James is pretty frank on this point. He calls it flat out arrogance. He said you're arrogant. And it's not win in favor with God. He's not impressed. Not only are we obnoxious to others, but we become obnoxious to God. And James sees this as a real danger. And he goes farther than that. He, just, he doesn't just say it's obnoxious. He actually says it's evil. He said if we're caught up in boasting and caught up in bragging and caught up in uh, how awesome we are and what we bring to the equation, he says it's actually evil. And he concludes with this assessment. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let me illustrate this with my own life. All right? 
So I'm doing this message. I'm going through this week. A couple months ago, we, we have some neighbors, and, and they're we're very good neighbors. We like them a lot. And their kids actually come with us to church and um, different camps and stuff. And uh, they, when they first planted in our neighborhood, they planted these bushes, which were kind of decorative bushes, and they looked nice, but they were really thorn bushes. I mean, they got, you know, needles on them like this. And, like, and the thing is, they grow like weeds. So if you don't trim them, if you don't take care of them, they become these enormous bushes. And our neighbor's bushes had grown to the point where they couldn't even really walk in their driveway to get, or I mean on their sidewalk, to get into their house. They had to go through the garage because when you walk by, those bushes would whack your shoulder and then the needles would dig in your arm. And right, and they were like, man, driving them nuts. And I said, well, hey, I've, I've got a hedge trimmer and uh, I could cut that back for you. And they said, well, I had... She said, uh, her name's Leilani. She said, I don't want them cut back. I actually want them taken out. So, oh, I could do that for you. And I said this about three months ago, right, hon? Yeah, Pam's smiling at me. And so I'm working on the message and this whole thing. And, you know, and the farmer in me likes to boast about what I can do for farming and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I'm sitting there. I get up Saturday morning. I'm working on the message. And I go through this whole thing. I put these words down. I go, isn't this great words for the congregation? This is awesome. And then I get to the part where it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. And the first thing that popped in my mind were those dumb bushes. And I went, oh, beautiful day, hot out. I don't want to do bushes. And, you know, Lord, i got to spend time with my wife. She wants... And the first thing I knew instantly, I'm dead to rights. I've got to go do those bushes. So I get out there. Kayla helps me. I get my ropes out. I get all my stuff out. And we uproot those things and I whack them. And then I uh, load it onto my wheelbarrow. And it was about this high, right? So I look like the walking bush through the neighborhood as I wheel it over to Pacific Topsoils and, and got, it, got it done. And when I got it done, I, I raked everything and I cleaned it up and made it look the way I would want it to look um, so that I would have it done, right? And I felt tremendous release because I had done what I knew I should do. This morning I got up at 5, uh, like I always do, and I actually went out and watered because it's going to be hot this week. By the way, it's going to be 91 this week, right? I want no complaining, you Northwest wimps. This is awesome. This is fabulous. We want this. Bring it on. And, uh, but I'm out watering. My neighbor comes out. She's got tears running down her eyes. Go, and she's pointing. Did you? Did you? Did, and she runs over and hugs me. She says, oh, it looks wonderful. Thank you. And I went, what would have happened if I hadn't done that? What would have happened if I just let it go and it was just words and it was just talk, right? I actually had to do it. And that's what James is saying. Stop boasting. Just do it. Just do what you know you're supposed to do. Does that make sense, Northview? All right, let's pray. Father, this is a way too close to the vest kind of message. There's not one of us that doesn't get tagged on it. We're either going to get hammered on the slander side or we're going to get hammered on the boasting side. And thank you. Thank you for being a good dad, a good God who knows our hearts, knows what you're trying to pull us from, knows what you're trying to rescue us from, trying to root out the evil within us. Thank you for these kind of reminders that our soul necessary for us as your sons and daughters because none of this stuff will go in the kingdom. It won't exist. And we've got to get rid of it now. Help us to do that this week. I, I don't know who, what, how, where, what level this has touched this morning, 
but wherever it has, help them with what they heard you say. And we give this to you with great praise in your name. Amen.